Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, happy Easter to everybody. Um, happy spring, happy Passover, happy whatever, whatever you're celebrating right now. Happy. <laughs> Just be happy. And joining us is Stanley Young, the Mobility Systems Team Lead for the National Renewable Energy Laboratories Center for Integrated Mobility Science. Great to see you again, Stan. Nice to be here, Fred. Well, Stan, you took part in this week's Smart Driving Car Summit session, really terrific, on what will power safely driven cars. This was a great session looking at the pros and cons of different fuel sources for vehicles going forward. Let's have your perspective on some of the key takeaways from that summit. Yeah, I always appreciate participating in these because it draws me out of the, the research silos I'm in and, and gets me back to the top level to understand all the competing concerns that are really driving the issues forward. And, and that's what it provided for me, both internally to NREL when, uh, when uh, they were hosting that session and asked the key questions. I went around to my colleagues and tried to get a balanced perspective again uh, of all the driving forces in the automotive uh, electrification um, area, whether it's electrification or, or hydrogen or high efficiency vehicles or hybrids and things like that. And bringing that all together says, hey, the, the, uh, the, <laughs> the driving forces of these are much larger than I think about from day to day, whether it's geopolitical, whether it's uh, energy, um, energy security, global warming, you know, you name it, there, there's a lot of things that are coming to bear. And they're all lining up to push us towards electrified drivetrains in some form or another. There's a lot of debate on whether that's full battery electric vehicles or hybrids and how the grid's going to be powered. But I don't think I hear any dissent whatsoever that getting to electrified drivetrains to enable regenerative braking or to enable alternative fuels of any sort is not the right way to go. Uh, we got a heck of a long way when you when you hear all the all the, the talk in the press and 90% is all about electric vehicles or automated vehicles. And then you're, you're brought back to reality when you look at the statistics that, you know, even today on the market, that's 2% or less of all vehicle sales. So it, it's an interesting dynamic that we're living in right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you, uh, Stan. I mean, for, for a while, I, I always, I, I wondered why the, the, the Chevy Volt never made it because because it it just seemed to me that 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 having something to generate electricity and then put it through a drivetrain that doesn't end up needing a transmission to be able to do what it needs to do just seems seemed to me to be you know fundamental to really moving moving along i mean maybe it's because i played in a, in the railroad freight railroad industry for a while you know <laughs> yeah. and 25 years or something like that whatever <clears throat> but if, if you look at a locomotive it's an electric drive okay mm -hmm. but there aren't too many wires up there with pantographs 
picking up electricity. You know, they have some big diesel, who knows what generating this stuff, burning that that diesel fuel to create to create then electricity with an electric drive. Why? Because, I mean, can you see how you, you, you would need not just two man crews, not five man crews. I mean, could you see them shifting the gears to try to put that? To, I mean, it would, you know, you have you have 200 car coal train and then you hit the Rockies, you know, holy man, you know, what the hell do you do? I mean, fundamentally fundamentally and 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 it, it, you know it'll one surpri- surprises one that even in you know in trucking and so on you know there's still the transmission and you have an automatic transmission and do do why just not choose a thing that <laughs> that puts the torque on the wheels to be different right uh, and then, and then the other the other sort of thing that got me is is really having to do with uh, with drones <laughs> Uh, for some reason, I know, I, maybe I was at the University of South Carolina. I was someplace, and and so, somebody showed me a Blackhawk helicopter, and they had the side of the Blackhawk taken out with the whole drive thing that goes to the to the to the rotor in the back and so on and all these whatever's huge, you know, sort of um, uh, drive trains that come out of this turbine that's. I'm thinking, holy hell, you just put a little electric motor back there to do, 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 do. <laughs> I mean, you know, and if I'm, you know, Al Qaeda, you know, I know what to shoot for, <laughs> you know, that whole drivetrain. I don't shoot for the blades. I just shoot for the drivetrain, ba ba boom, that stuff. I mean, what am I missing here? It just seems to me that fundamentally, you know, because of the torque curve associated with electric motors, that, that you would want to be there. And I, I, it always surprised me that, you know, the Volt, what, to me, was, you know, I really, I never took one apart or really looked at it, but it seemed like you have a little, little gasoline engine, a little efficient engine, and it sort of creates these electrons and then you use the electrons to do doom. Yeah. Right? Is that, is, that's what you're talking I, about. I agree. Uh, I mean, if I were to pick up a vehicle to say, hey, this is kind of the turning point, uh, the Chevy Volt was done. Uh, one of those that, that, that I would pick up. Uh, I shared yesterday that that my undergraduate alma mater was R.G. Letourneau, and he figured that out for huge earth-moving equipment, uh, yeah. you see in mines and stuff. And, and I mean, even though that was, you know, after World War II and there were still electronic limitations, he fully understood the torque you know, the torque benefit, his dump trucks, even though they maxed out at 30 miles an hour, could do that uphill at 20% grades because uh, because of the torque curve, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you didn't have to sit there and shift a super low gear. I mean, you know, just think, yeah. just think how many pop clutches you would have to do to be able to. to <laughs> I mean, you know, if I, if I was 16, I'd be great doing it. You know, the girls would go, yeah. <laughs> Well, what hit me is I've always wondered why we didn't have more trucks that were like uh, that similar drivetrain just to get that. In reality, very, very few, very little equipment needs that level and the price of gas. And and even though with the complexity of the the mechanical drivetrains, they were just less expensive to produce. Um, I was kind of caught flat footed yesterday about whether our policies incentives for EVs were effective. And the more I think about it, the more I go, yeah, I mean, what really has prevented that that architecture from taking place. It was electric storage technology. Yeah. 
practical high capacity batteries, we're still on that route. We still have, I think we have, you know, anything light duty, we have viable alternatives now that can compete with the ICE drivetrain um, moving forward. And it took, uh, you know, no matter what you think about Elon, he, he, he showed the world that these can be sexy, fast and desirable vehicles to drive. And, and, you know, it's moving yeah. out of the bag and moving forward. And, you know, the introduction of the Ford Mach Mach 1E, I think is, is what they call it. It's like there is an icon of American culture with an electrical equivalent. I'm, I'm more interested, not in the performance of that, but on the reaction of, uh, of the American culture in general that, you know, if, if a Corvette gets out there with, with a full electric drivetrain or, or the equivalent coming from uh, the Mopar world, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to, to, to see how the psyche reacts uh, from our, our very much, you know, ICE dominated view of the world for uh, transportation and mobility. So. Well, Adam, Adam uh, well, Jones well, let me follow, Stanley let me, really had some comments about the yeah. But the before we get Fred, 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 before we get to that, I want we'll get to that. But let me let me just follow up on that because because you know in some sense you can almost see the evolution of the American psyche because you know you no longer have the double clutching four on the floor on a stick whatever mm -hmm. even in the Ford F one fifties you know they're now all you know in their crew cabs and I mean you go in one and you think you're holy hell I'm in my Mercedes what the hell is going <laughs> on here I mean geez why am I buying a Mercedes I'm going out and buying Ford F one fifty you know <laughs> and you know and you not and and you know, the torque and the acceleration mm -hmm. that you get out of one of these electric motors, all of a sudden, these guys are going to go nuts. They're going to go nuts. And they're going to go out there and they'll compete with the, with, <laughs> with Elon's whatever truck that they do, da, da, da. And, and they're, they're going to be lining up, I think. Because because it's it's really going to fit in. I mean, when when you actually look at that torque curve and you look at that torque curve at zero and so on, and what the acceleration that that gives you, and if any of those guys ever got in the Tesla and somebody in the Tesla just went out and went, what the, what the hell did you just do? I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I I I don't know. I I, I think so. And 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 so so the motivation here. I mean, and. and and you, you you hit the nail on the head with the battery that you know i've for for a while i've also been saying to my class you know the fundamental problem has been the battery going back to 1837 you know wherever you want to go back to with with batteries i mean there were there was just not very much advancement in batteries okay until we got to the lithium piece and then all of a sudden, my goodness, and rechargeable and so on and so forth. So all of a sudden, but then but you still have sitting out there the volt con concept in which you could put a very efficient IC engine in there, really small, really efficient. It just sits there and, and grinds out and creates electrons at just this constant rate. You don't have to, no transmission because, hey, you set that up at the efficiency level to generate the electricity. And then you sit there and just temporarily store. You still need a temporary storage thing, not a big one. And then all of a sudden, boom, you go, I, I don't, I mean, and, and it seems to me to be simple. And, you know, certainly one of Elon's fundamentals is simplicity, you know? 
if I can do it in half the parts, do it. If I can, you know, I mean, and, and, and we didn't get into it yesterday. We did get into it the day before with respect to all of a sudden these electric vehicles coming on half the parts, a quarter of the parts as opposed to an internal combustion, but boom, all of a sudden, the assembly line looks like nothing, but the doom to doom, boom. Right. I mean, that, that was a major theme. And, and, you know, I the complexity argument resonates with me, but I'm not anywhere near manufacturing. And and also the, the theme came out that, guys, once we have a fundamentally electric drivetrain kind of with the uh, Chevy Volt, our our freedom to redesign, whether it's ICEs or other e-fuels or combustion cycles saying, hey, let's just maximize the efficiency within a very narrow RPM um, torque range and, you know, see if we can push some of this fundamental uh, energy conversion up into the 50s, 60s percent, you know, that that caught my attention and that's well beyond my technical capacity to comment on, but it it's starting to turn and saying, hey, we can fundamentally make electric drivetrains now, just like we used to, that we continue to do with locomotives and some of the other examples. And how does that change the equation long-term? I think, I think in the back of everyone's head saying, okay, it's, it's possible, should we go that direction? Uh, you know, is, is the electrical supply chain going to be as resilient as the petroleum supply chain? Yeah. Um, and, and what do you want to bet on? And, and, and should we be building platforms and chassis that, that have some inherent resiliency so you can, you know, take electrons or take petroleum or something else, or should we just, you know, build that resiliency into our supply chains? I, all good questions. So. Yeah, all good questions. And they all have to sit on top of the research because, you know, that's going to that's gonna push the research. I mean, you, you do the research to be able to, with, with some vision as to what the hell you're trying to do. Yeah, we, we all want to do basic research and we don't care, you know, use it or lose it, you know, whatever. But that's somewhat, that's, I'd say, somewhat <laughs> irresponsible, if not wholly irresponsible, you know, out here with these, with these major forces to play, and then, and then, okay, Fred, what about what uh, what Adam well, said about well, the Adam, tailpipe? <laughs> well, he said, to Steve, that Apple is, no way is going to have a tailpipe on anything that they make. But beyond that, he seemed to be saying that this was a a cultural shift that the automakers are on board, having meetings every day, worried about Tesla, and that the the public sentiment has shifted and certainly i mean the, the government the government push now uh, it just seems like there doesn't seem to be another option on the table well, you, i don't know about did, that. You, Alan, did you get did i, you I get wanted to ask sense? you a question sure sure uh, <laughs> the, the performance of automotive companies in one way can be measured by the number of units they sell and another measure by their stock price and you know i i don't see any mainstream automaker lacking for sales right now unless they have some inherent yeah right right people are buying them off the shelf if they're comparing stock prices and saying hey we want to be like tesla and have just an outrageously large price compared to earnings i don't know do you really want to be in that situation (laughs) obviously you want to be selling cars but for for whatever reason and there there are probably multiple reasons most of the automakers have been announcing, hey, we're going pretty much all electric. 
Yeah, well, you know, they're, they're you know, selling years. selling cars to consumers has been, you know, the the realm of Madison Avenue, the madman, uh, creating visions, uh, uh, reflecting on on some fundamental individual desires and um, uh, passions, um, whatever dreams, and and it. It seems, at least, it seems to me that that even high, even high tech, even 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 the the oil companies are seeing that, in fact, the environmental thing is not is not a crazy thing, and it's been rooted in in the grade schools and the kindergartens and the second grades and so on now for. 10 to 15 getting on 20 years and those folks are entering the 20s and the 30s age brackets in which they finally are going to have some money to spend and so on that they have and the whole marketplace is is saying my goodness we we can't we can't we're, we're not selling cigarettes anymore okay we're not we're not doing that we're this thing is is sort of fundamental in the in in, in the grassroots and and they're jumping on board and and when adam says and i i believe apple will not sell a product with a tailpipe okay that's because the whole environmental save the planet everything smoking kills part of that they don't want to be associated with and, and cook doesn't you know he doesn't and if the ceo from the top has any influence you know that and you know microsoft doesn't and you know jeff doesn't because jeff comes from princeton of course he wouldn't i mean but, but whatever you know but it, no he doesn't he's got enough problems he's got problems with unions and things like that i mean what did he do he jumped to the, the he said everybody gets 15 bucks you know what? Nine months ago, whatever. Would you know? He would. He, you know, and he didn't do that. He just. I, I think. I think it's because you know he has a good product. He doesn't want this little garbage little thing ruining it. And it doesn't. And all of a sudden, he becomes green. I mean, he he wants to get stuff to us for free. He says, and man, we bought in. I bought in. Oh, I get free stuff here at the house. I mean, it comes free. I mean, I'm like, I can't stop being on Amazon buying stuff. I get presents every day when they when the Amazon truck shows up. It's like Christmas. And 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 to make it actually free, because right now when he looks at his balance sheet, that is a substantial amount of money he's spending. And talk about the difficulties of logistics and getting people to, you know, drive and all that stuff. You know, he's got to be working on. And what he, he signed with Rivian, what, a year, two years ago, saying, build me some electric vans. I don't know who you guys are, but build me vans, you know, because you guys are saying we're going to, you know, three years from now. Every package arriving at any of our home is going to be in an electric van from Amazon, without a doubt. Because the incremental cost for him to do that is probably zero. And again, he doesn't want to have to deal with all the headaches that would be on top of it. These things have tailpipes. 
And as I like to argue, if he figures out that, you know, half of this stuff is fine if it shows up and, and when I wake up in the morning, it's on my front door and he can deliver it between midnight and 6 a.m. when nobody's using the streets, he's going to have driverless vehicles out here because it's almost trivial to do when there aren't children running around. And of course, you know, his costs are going to go tuned to this. Whew. I mean... <laughs> You get, you, you get to talk the talk and walk the walk. I mean, if you're in business, I mean, it, it's, you can't find anything better than that. There's Stand. a walk around NREL that, that the, the economic equation is always tested out in fleet management, whether that's Jeff or whether that's a, a city fleet. You know, they look yeah. at, you know, return on investment over a number of years. They're, they're just right. based on what individual decisions are, you know, does it reflect my personality? Do I like the color? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I don't want to belittle those. Those are, are individual decisions one at a time, where when right. you aggregate it to a fleet, it's typically bottom line. And, and you know, massive fleet, you know, right now we're, we're seeing fleet customers consider that transition, seriously consider what's the long-term return on investment to go to electrified drive trains or battery electric vehicles or something on that order. And I think we're seeing the early adopters do it. Um, you know, ultimately as a data person and as an engineer says, you know, do, are we actually moving the needle on what the concerns are, whether it's GHG or air quality and things like that. And, and there was some discussion yesterday. So, so you buy a battery electric vehicle, the grid's so dirty in, in balance, it's worse than a gasoline. Yeah, you're, you're burning coal. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. Marginal, the marginal energy is coal. Right. In most places, maybe not Sweden, the marginal energy is coal. So you convert from this to this, guess what you use? You use what's on the margin, right? So you, hey, you buy Tesla today, you burn coal, period. I mean, you know, I think in any analytic construct, that's what you get. Well, well, will that translate enough into, say, Apple puts out a car without a tailpipe, and then someone says, hey, what good does it do, Apple, if if the state you're, you're marketing in is, is still, you know, 50% coal-based electric grid? Are, are they going to turn around and, and get more – either fundamental consumer activism or pressure from the industry saying, hey, we got to get the, this, this grid into shape and modernized and, and as flexible and efficient as possible. You know, it remains to be seen if it translates to that. But you, you see, in the, I call it industry activism when a, you know, a poor political decision or something that, that doesn't seem fair and then the, 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 the business or the major industry headquartered in that state or municipality, you know, they got to protect their reputation and where they come down on that side of the issue is, is balanced in public opinion and ultimately hits their bottom line. So I, it, it's just an interesting, it's, in. it's say, a, facts to, you know, the reality is more interesting than uh, the fiction at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, but I, I would think that if, if I were sitting there, I'd say, look, I did my part. I, I don't control the coal mines. I don't control the grid. I can't. And, you know, if those guys and those gals went out and did their part, then we're good. I've done my part. Now, that's, you know, that's covering my own butt. Everybody covers their own butt, but at least I'm trying to cover my own butt. 
Okay. You can't come to me and, Hey, we got rid of coal and we now have all nothing but wind and we're all good. And we got all this stuff and you're still, you still have a tailpipe. (laughs) I mean, I would suggest I do not want to be there. I don't want to have that discussion. I can't if, if I'm, if I'm in any kind of power to, to, to direct anything, right, Stan? I mean, talk to me here. It's only natural that, you know, an individual and whatever and so on. And guess what? That's, that's the way the whole terminology has been set up. Okay. And why? Because I guess everybody wants to just protect their own little corner. And, and I guess you deal what you can deal with. Can't deal with the whole darn thing. I'd love to. Love to tell you what to do, Stan. I would love to be able to tell you what to do. Of course, I can. I mean, I can barely tell myself what to do. I mean, <laughs> we'll take we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more. But first, this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, we should point out it's a good idea to read the white paper. It's called The Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. Lots of great information there to help you make informed decisions about investing. ETFs, as you may know, can be a smart way to spread risk with investments and focus on a particular category of stocks. The site, once again, is MOTOETF.com. We're back with more on the Smart Driving Cars podcast and our guest, Stan Young. This week, Stan, uh, President Biden unveiled a $2 trillion infrastructure plan. There's a lot here, obviously, with $2 trillion, but anything that's grabbed your attention? Um, Coming with this new administration, we all anticipated a a greater influence on on sustainability and um, equity and many of the other things. it was just a matter of to what extent and how fast it would come. Um, I, I admit I'm surprised the the uh, the speed with which it's coming out and and the focus. Uh, it, it's just now starting to hit. We're watching the the of course we're a research institute, so we live off of grant funds and FOAs, and, and we're seeing language in each one coming out that that needs to address environmental justice and equity. Uh, we're seeing the you know announcements for infrastructure plans. A lot of that includes uh, uh, EV charging, as well as traditional infrastructure of keeping the roads and bridges in place. I guess it doesn't surprise me. Maybe I, I, I'm just getting old, and change surprises me and catches me off guard. Uh, we were anticipating this, and and now it's getting into full swing. So. I mean, you know, the infrastructure thing, you know, two trillion, but there's a lot more than just infrastructure in there that, that sort of has that. Probably there should be more in, in, in with respect to the electric infrastructure, the electric grid and so on. I mean, that, that that's, uh, you keep looking, at, to me, you look at those Lawrence Livermore energy flow charts. You just need to take a look at those to see, you know, in terms of the volume on a on a national basis where does it come from where does it go how does it get you know the the gray areas where it gets converted into just heat and waste and you say to yourself geez you know it really focuses your attention on on the efficiency question and and what drives those things but but in the end you know the certainly the key thing as we mentioned yesterday with respect to mobility 
if I'm moving, I need energy where I am at that particular time so that I can keep moving. <laughs> Unless I'm going downhill, of course, but you know, then I'm going to have to come uphill later. So I'm going to need it there. And, and, you know, the distribution, how you get it to where you need it is a key element of it. And if I happen to be on the ground, I have some things that I can do. If I'm up in the air, if I'm dealing with airplanes and so on, man, I, I, I have a challenge there and I have a real challenge. And, and so, you know, the, the pointing this out and making sure and then looking at, at you know, where's this going, going to come from? Where's it been coming from? You know, how much change have we made lately, even with all of the, the, the things that, that we've talked about and all the investments we've made up to this point? You know, we haven't moved the needle very much so far. So, you know, there's there's a real need. And then if you get down to the roadway infrastructure, I think, you know, going back and forth on some emails yesterday, having to do you know, 80 billion a year or something to maintain or whatever the roadways. And I sort of went through, you know, I did the 80, 80, e, 80 e to 09, you know, divided by, you know, 200 E06, like, you know, 200 million or whatever vehicles or drivers out there. What the heck does that mean? It comes down, it's two and a half cents of a vehicle mile, uh, you know, is, is what the, the expense, you, you mean we can really maintain and upgrade our road infrastructure at two and a half cents a vehicle mile? I mean, really, or did I make some mistake in the exponents here and, and then the zeros, I must've missed something, you know, but if it really is two and a half cents, per vehicle you mean we can't afford that we can't pay that we can't find the money that all of a sudden there's some enormous tax increase i mean can't be i mean two and a half cents it'd be cheap as i as i put in an email it'd be cheap at twice the price you know i mean really <sighs> come on i mean i wonder if you can get elected like that alan come on well, <laughs> no of course i can't uh, but i mean but but somebody is some, really if well, you, you, look, if you look at what there. we, you know, go ahead, go. Yeah. Well, go. In a past life, I was a pavement management engineer for the state of Kansas. And if you look at what are the U.S.'s fundamental economic strengths, of course, agriculture is right at the top, technology is at the top. The fact that we have to scale infrastructure over such vast geographic areas, you know, being able to keep a road system in good repair you know, all that asphalt, concrete, bridge work and structures on a, a ever decreasing tax base because, you know, the, you know, tax, the gas tax hasn't changed and, and inflation just keeps eating into it has really made the U.S. probably the leader in what you said, two and a half cents per mile or something to, to, to keep the whole road infrastructure in base. And it, it, it's a, an untold, I think it's an untold story, but it's a, it's an, marvelous if we can do it if we can do it that efficiently think about what are we doing are we using slave labor prisoner labor out there to do that how in the hell do we do that that cheaply and 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 it's not a tax it's a use charge okay I go buy gasoline to use my car so that I I can hit the gas and accelerate and get all kinds of, you know, thrills Mm -hmm. and do donuts and all that stuff. But, but I need a surface and nobody's sitting out there and saying, okay, you want to use a surface, pay something. 
okay, which two and a half cents a mile is all that I have to pay for that service. <laughs> You're joking here. I mean, come on, I'll, I'll, I'll give you more. I'll, come on now, come on. That's, you can't be that cheap. You, you've got to be kidding me. Why isn't it presented that way? Why is it presented well, oh, that way? I, I think it's a psychology. It's when, when, when we pay for it through the pump, it's, it's small incremental bits. Yeah. How much we want. It's really a use tax that's applied. It's a use charge, not a tax. It's a use yeah. charge. <laughs> but somebody, get- somebody put a tax name on it, and then Paul, oh, I can't raise taxes. Oh my goodness, I'm a Democrat. I can't raise tax, or I'm a, I'm a Republican, or yeah. I'm a you know gun totaling. I don't know what. I can't raise taxes. I mean, it's it's a use charge. You don't want to use you don't want to use the roads. Hey, you don't well, have to. As, okay. as we get ever increasing in fuel efficiency and get away from petroleum-based fuels, how do you recreate that dynamic that, yeah, it's whether you use a tax or a use charge, it's an incremental, we get a heck of a lot of value out of that. You get value. So why is yeah. that put up there as, hey, you want value? Two and a half cents a mile. Holy hell, here, I'll give you five cents a mile. Give me <laughs> give me some paint on it, okay? Fill a pothole. Fill I'll another pothole. I'll give you, pads, I'll, double, uh, I'll double it. I mean, am I just a rich guy? Am I a number, uh, you know, a, a one percenter or something? Or, or really, I mean, how could it be any cheaper? Mm-hmm. You've got to be kidding. A hard surface that I'm not going to get stuck in the mud. <laughs> I mean, can't go, get out there and push, dig it out for well, two and a half. I mean, you got to be joking. I, what else is that cheap? They charge me more for water. I go buy a water at the airport. It's I go to my hotel room. There's a water. It says, you drank this. It's five bucks. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> talk to I, me. I think a way to look at this every few years, <laughs> I, I run this calculation of what, one of you know, I like the term commonwealth that Virginia uses, and one of the, the nation's commonwealth is our, our road infrastructure system. So, if you take the total lane miles of, of either freeways, interstates, state highways, and divide it by the population, how much you know linear feet of roadway do we all collectively own and have to keep up to date? And when you think about it that way, and, and actually get those numbers in front of you, it's it's quite amazing how how our our collective uh, you know national or statewide you know I'm, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I would suspect or I pay yeah. for about a mile or two worth of road just out of, you know, what, what I support uh, well, is. I can't, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I you know, know, I don't know. I guess the number is probably 10 million late miles or something like that. Maybe yeah. it's greater if it's 10 million late mi- lane miles or there are three, 300 million of us, you know, uh, you know, uh, that, that means that, um, that basically I'm picking up for like a, a third of a mile or something like that. Or, I mean, uh, one, well, you know, no, uh, a little bit less one, than that. Less of one. Don't push me to do third. math in my but, head. No, no, but this. you know, <laughs> but, but there, you're right. There, there is a substantial amount of roadway. There's probably more than 10 million lane miles. If you take, if you take lane miles and I bet, I bet there's, I bet there's close to, we'll have to go through that. You probably can look it up. Lane, it's a tough one to do because it's probably not going to include Cleveland Lane out here in, in, in the front of the house and so on. And But I need I need that hard surface in the front of the house. Otherwise, I get stuck in the mud before I even get anywhere. So, damn it, you know, I really want, and I don't want potholes on that sucker. Does there well, need I, to I be just... a fundamental change in, in the way uh, the we pay for it? 
the roads if if the gasoline taxes start to stop wane calling. As, as we have to stop we have to stop the calling it a tax and we have to call it so, a charge I mean, do we need do we need to put this charge on on an easy pass or something alan or something along or, or on your meter on your electric meter or stan since you're if you guys want to promote you guys <laughs> want to promote electric cars okay right now you get you get some money back on your taxes if you buy an electric car and you don't pay any of this gas tax or gas use charge okay and which is driving a bunch of people nuts so they want to put a vehicle mile tax on it on your so that the electric cars there are only one percent or two percent of them out there, but let's get let's get them now, okay? To pay, so we're going to put in a whole infrastructure to go collect money on a per mile basis out of these things. Yet we are sending money to them to promote it. So why not just say electric cars don't pay the the road use tax? That's how we promote you. You don't, we'll pick that up. And in fact, you know, instead of like doing transfer money here, transfer money there, who knows how many accountants you need, computer systems, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, Amazon web services that, that do all that, you just hold the money as government, okay? And now you pass that out to the states and whatever to fix, to pay for the roadways. We, we've decided that, We've decided that this is a common good. And it is so good for industry, for business, for individuals, and so on, that in fact, collectively, we really are going to maintain this road system. So the 80 billion that we're putting out there in this stimulus thing is really, really good government. Okay? Because because in fact, this is this is for Right now, essentially everybody drives. I know not everybody drives, and that's why I want to do driverless vehicles and all that kind of stuff. But predominantly, and this is a common good. This is a utility. It has enormous efficiencies because it can be spread over everybody. Let's continue to take advantage of that and say, yeah, okay, corporations have to pay a couple more percent. You're not in business as a corporation if the roads aren't there. This is a fundamental no. good of you. You you should be, you should be, you should be. Can't give you enough. Yeah, <laughs> I Amazon, looked up that number from Google and it was about a little over seventy million lane miles. So you're right. It's it's about a fifth or a quarter of a mile per person. So yeah, to think about it. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be some bright young person that's going to figure out a way to charge it based on value of the roadway and be the next billionaire. But, you know, the gas tax was a great surrogate for that you know, value-based use charge. I, I think it's getting outdated and we're going to have to bring something else in to, to keep that up and, and keep our the most enviable road system in, in, in the world, that, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah. 
or other people would argue that, but it is definitely allows for incredible mobility. I think, you know, I went up, anyone needs to go up and see the Ford Museum and his view of the world was, you know, physical mobility is one incredible aspect of freedom that, that we don't ever want to lose. Absolutely. And it, it should be, and it probably is, a, is, again, is a public good and it is a user charge. And when everybody had to consume gasoline or a, a fluid uh, to do that, then it, the elegance of the, of the user charge that is called gas tax, the elegance of that collected at the wholesale level. Okay, so they only go to a few people to collect it from, that they are then forced to go collect it from each of us, for which it's really tough to get money out of here. Believe I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> it's really tough to get money out of there, right? Yeah. You know, and having it done there. And, and having it auditable within a few big places. Sure, there are some people that say, hey, I'm going to use this for on my farm. I'm not yet in there. I won't pay. Yeah, you know, they're, you know, that's 0.00% of the damn thing. And to collect it like that, really elegant, proportional to how efficiently you use it and efficient, you know, the heavier, if you're a Hummer, man, you get 12 miles a gallon. Man, charge that sucker. You had to pay me. <laughs> if I'm a little Prius, I barely did the do da da da. Not my, but you know, think of the fundamental incentive. I mean, you can't come up with a more elegant way to charge people for this, I claim. Okay. Now, if we're not going to use the fluids anymore, <laughs> we got to figure out. I mean, you know, uh, we got to figure out different, but 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 then you say the hell with it. You know, when you really look at it, 80 billion, if that really is, and I call it 100 billion, if that really is the number that, that, need, that, that, the, that the system needs to stay in good condition and move along, not to completely redo it and do some who knows what, damn it, to me, that seems like that is such a small charge. Hey, can I change the, the, yeah. the subject on you a little bit, Alan? Yeah, Sure. Uh, we do a lot of behavioral research at, at, at the lab, you know, yeah. why do people travel, how is that changing? And, and the COVID pandemic was an incredibly interesting from the point of view to our mobility shifts and what, what is going to be, you know, what's not going to fully rebound and why. Mm-hmm. I mean, just us sitting here as an example of we're carrying on a webinar, the, yeah. The, the telepresence world, you know, you couldn't have accelerated it any faster. Right. Far, you know. and, Absolutely. And we're having conversations internally just to our work saying, are we going back to a five day at the office or not? And, and you know, there, there's an interesting mix on that. If you look at the economy, for the most part, has, has rebounded in many areas. But if you look at the VMT, there's there's definitely a 10 to 20 percent downturn, you, whether you relate it to economy or behavioral shifts, I know, you know, if this continues, I need to go to my insurance company and ask for a discount on my insurance because I'm just not putting, you know, my commute vehicle has been sitting in the driveway for a year and, and it's not moving. Um, the school situation, you got to look at that, you know, a lot of people don't like it, but it was a one-year experiment on what distance learning or, or fully webinar-based learning is all about and and we've gained 
you know, we've learned a heck of a lot, we've instituted a heck of a lot, is any of that going to remain permanent? Or are we gonna go back to the way it was before? And how does that change in the mobility equation? There's a heck of a lot of discussion about equity across the board. You know, the people who had to show up to work because their work required it, whether it was the medical community or services or whatever, you know, is that, is that distribution of travel of commute now getting a bit skewed because there's a sector, a lot of it correlated with, with wage earning jobs that have to show up to do their job versus, uh, you know, knowledge workers that have the ability, you know, have you, have you guys been thinking about that with respect to the economic realm? Well, I, I, we, we've certainly been thinking about it, uh, you know, and trying to think about running numbers on it and certainly looking at the INRIX data, which is, I mean, having INRIX out there have, have, um, have, um, you know, segment volumes as a function of time, uh, geographically across the country, uh, during uh, even starting before the pandemic, during the pandemic coming out, the the the, availab the availability of just hard data on on what this is 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 really is is is, is fundamentally valuable. I think it, it's going to, it hits different sectors, the professional sectors, you know, us. Okay. We don't have to go to the office. Okay. But the lower sectors of the, the, the blue collar workers, they don't have the ability to do the work on it, you know, if they had the ability to do the work on a computer, a computer is already doing it and they wouldn't have the job. The only reason they're there is because of, you know, it's an industrial revolution thing. It's, you know, you, we could put ourselves back in Pittsburgh in 1900 and then steel mills or whatever. You had to have the people there to, or the people on the Ford assembly line and so on. Okay. And the thing is that, that those of us that work with this, you know, then we don't need to be there. Now, certainly what that means for the classic commute, mass transportation and so on that we've seen in the past. I mean, I think we have to rethink the whole transit equation. Okay. People running. Why would, why would Goldmine Sachs rent? a whole building of office space in lower Manhattan when all those folks, when all the Adam Jonas is, he's not a Goldman Sachs <laughs> can do it from good, can do it from, uh, from, you know, Westchester and do it essentially equally well. School. I have to be in the classroom. This has sucked. Okay. We've done a great job, da da da, da da da. There are little things that we've been able to do, da 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 da. Uh, I've had, you know, guest speakers. I'm going to have Jamie Unown, the CEO of of eBay, in my class on the 19th. You know, he's going to chat with with my students. I mean, we can do that because we have this enormous benefit. Okay, so therefore we can really enhance being in the classroom because I can bring Jamie in three years from now again if he's willing to, to do it. Okay, <laughs> okay, or we can have we can have Stan in there, to, you know, 
because because you don't have to get an airplane, come to Princeton. I have to take you to lunch, da da do, da da da, and all that crap. Okay, so that piece of it can be real, but but the the lack of face to face with the students. I mean, I don't know if they learned anything. I'd like to I'd like to see the I know the air airlines are still hurting, but they're beginning to rebound. And, right, the New York Times sector. today. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Go, yeah. And which sector is rebounding? Is business travel going to stay depressed simply because we discovered we can be as productive at, or, you know, close Absolutely. to that versus, you know, uh, leisure travel is rebounding faster because you really want to be in Hawaii or, or, or the, or the, the Rockies or something like that. Absolutely. Study. One last thing. I because I can out. go, I can go skiing at Vail and still do my job. Mm-hmm. Right, Zoom. Uh, what do they call it? Zoomcation or something like that. Zoomcation. Okay. It. I mean, think of what that allows you to do. If if you have an individual who's well motivated and wants to do his or her job at that particular point in time, they don't have to be in the office. They can. They can, in some sense, have their their cake and eat it too. One last point. You, yeah. <laughs> you saw the, the numbers come out of FHWA for the fatalities in, in 2020. Uh, they jumped tremendously. I think if I remember right, 42,000 and we were hovering in the mid thirties. Yeah. I think that, yeah, per VMT, it's like 25% increase. I mean, it, the number is, is horrendous. Go ahead, go. Well, we're all trying to tackle congestion to save energy. And when I saw those numbers, my mind just immediately jumped. It's like congestion saves lives, folks. Um, I, I think you said it. You said it yesterday. I, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Any, anybody I, who goes and says, I want to invest in infrastructure to, for safety reasons, and I'm going to reduce congestion is talking two sides out of their, uh, their mouth. No. Okay. If you're talking about safety, don't reduce congestion. Okay. You want to do safety. You can put, you can put speed limiters in there. You can do other things. You can whatever, but man, don't, don't reduce congestion. Go. <laughs> well, it's congestion is, is the, you know, removes the volatility out of traffic, slows everybody down. And if nothing else, this COVID pandemic just put a huge exclamation part about, you know, Safety is about speed volatility, folks. You know what? You got to understand that. And and, and in some ways, congestion, even though it's a curse on productivity, is is a blessing in the safety realm. So, absolutely, we've talked before about using technology to do that, and I think you just mentioned it too. Yeah, it could be done in other ways besides congestion. If enough cars had it. Right. As I've begun to say, and I, you know, we this number is quoted about. You know, human involvement, 90 some percent of, of crashes has human involvement. And and uh, they used to call them accidents. At least we call them crashes now. And I say it's not human involvement. It's human misbehavior. It's human. You, we're supposed to behave in a certain way. To, you know, this is what the, 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 the rules of the road. This is what driving we're supposed to behave. And anytime we start behaving in different ways, boom, that's what causes stuff. So if technology can be come in there and either keep us from misbehaving or allows us to only misbehave when nothing bad is going to happen, then we should be buying all of that. 
Okay, so it's okay for me to cross a double line if there's nobody coming the other way. And the technology should know that. It shouldn't just say, don't cross a double line, Alan. If it does, tells you that too often, I'll cut the wire. I'm not going to sit there. Why shouldn't, why shouldn't I be able to cross it? There's nobody coming. But if there's somebody coming, that sucker should not let me cross the double line. Okay? Now, when the te technology becomes that good, okay? Now, I don't know. To get it that good so I can have another drink, it has to be driverless. It has to be able to actually not require disengagement or, or fail from the watering hole to my bedroom. Has to do the whole thing. Otherwise, I die. Okay? You know, and that's 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 a heavy lift. Okay, that's a heavy well, lift. Well, on on that, we really want to thank you for taking the time anyway. to be with us. Terrific, oh, it is enjoyable. Thanks for the invitation, Fred and Alan. <laughs> I, I don't know. People are going to go nuts watching this, but who? Look, I I think these are very fundamental and important things. We we put them in and light so that we get we get the concept across because if you put too many details in there people just well i do i whatever but if if it if it if it hits home and hopefully we've been able to hit home on a couple of these things stan and, and fred you know then then maybe we move the ball forward a little bit that's the goal a reminder that there are still a couple of sessions left in the princeton smart driving cars summit Keep an eye out for the schedule Thursday, live at noon. Uh, you can find the schedule at smartdrivingcar.com, Thursday, noon, and it's live. Thanks to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO, and more information is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us, once again, at smartdrivingcar.com. Also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, Amazon, SoundCloud, the list goes on. And you can get your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching and please continue to stay safe. And happy Easter, Passover, uh, spring, whatever to everybody. Um, enjoy and stay safe. Thanks.